0: Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Today, I have Mike Michalowicz, multiple best-selling entrepreneurial author whose book's Helping entrepreneurs fix accounting, sales, and operations. And some of his books include Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Surge, Clockwork, and The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Today we're going to talk to Mike about his latest book, Fix This Next, and how we can apply some of his principles to fixing your software as a service business. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. I thought we'd start off something a uh, bit of an interesting question. Tell me something about yourself that you haven't written about. I haven't written about. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't write about any kind of self help stuff, but I'm really fascinated by that space. So uh, I'm actually right now studying exercise in particular. And I discovered this book called Drop Dead Healthy. It's a really funny chronicle of this guy, AJ Jacobs, who decides to become the healthiest person on this planet and invests one year of his life experimenting with himself. And it's just funny what he discovers. Uh, it's interesting. It's compelling. So I'm really interested in that stuff. I don't think I'll ever write about fitness or
0: self-help, but it's definitely a space I'm curious about. You are, okay. It's obviously nonfiction, this guy. It's like biohacking or?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of like biohacking, but it's funny. He just put together a list. He went through, uh, I think it was 400 different resources that claim to help you improve your physical health, your overall health. And he accumulated a hundred rules and said, here's a hundred rules to perfect health. But he shows how they're kind of in conflict, like avoid germs, but you need germs and, you know, exercise, but you need to rest and recover. And then he does some of these bizarre things. So I was actually reading it this morning and he just, he, in this part of the book, he went to a laughter club because laughter supposedly increases endorphins, it's good for your health and just chronicles what he experiences at this club of people just laughing at everything. It's kind of funny.
0: Nice. Okay. Excellent. So AJ a. Jacobs. Yeah. Okay. We'll check that out for sure. So some of our listeners may not be aware of who you are. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background? And in particular, you know, I introduced you as an entrepreneurial author, but what may, what may, when did you feel like you were sort of solid enough as an authority in that space to start writing a books about it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I remember the day when I decided to become an author. I don't know if I'll ever be An authority as much as a curator. So uh, I'm an entrepreneur my entire adult life, ever since college, built a couple tech service businesses and uh, sold those companies. Uh, One was a private equity deal, another was a Fortune 500 acquisition. I think though the most relevant part of my journey as an entrepreneur is my third business. I was an angel investor, I was investing in all these little startups. It was a calamity, I I was a calamity and those businesses collapsed. I actually lost all of the money I made selling my other companies in this disaster. And that became the great restart for me. I I lost my home, I lost everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually went through depression for a period of time. And I remember reflecting on how how little I knew about entrepreneurship and decided to devote the rest of my life to investigating what actually makes entrepreneurship successful for me and what doesn't. And as I investigated this, I'm like, I got to write about this stuff. So that was now 13, 14 years ago, I became an author and uh, I'm on a journey to find the simple solutions, the effective solutions for all the different entrepreneurial challenges. I wrote Profit First because so many entrepreneurs struggle to be profitable. I wrote Mm -hmm. Clockwork because so many entrepreneurs say they want to have personal freedom, but they're working their tails off. And uh, these are all things I struggle with. So... I make a hypothesis on what what the challenge is and how to resolve it. I research it. Some books take me about five for ten years. Other ones are faster, and mm-hmm. I write them. Um, so I, I wouldn't consider myself an authority. I consider myself a curator of authorities' information. You know, collecting from all other entrepreneurs and putting it in something that hopefully will serve entrepreneurs because it's digestible and actionable.
0: Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and as an entrepreneur now, do you have outside businesses or because I know. When i come to your site there's coaching and stuff you're still doing you're still on the entrepreneurial side
1: yeah i've I've changed my label to shareholder and the difference i see here is i do own multiple small businesses i'm not actively managing them or running them i'm blessed to have an extraordinary team there's a president each even for my authorship business we have a president right here in our offices who runs our company um but i also have a couple membership organizations uh, I'm an investor in an augmented reality company. So those businesses I own equity in, uh, and I do give them some guidance and strategic direction, but I don't actively run them. You know, My active day-to-day job is to
0: curate and write books. Right, okay. But I see that you're obviously still implementing a lot of the strategies that you talk about. You obviously use Profit First and Clockwork, because I remember when I wrote you during Christmas, you are like, I'm taking the month off. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right, that's right. Yeah. You know what's so funny, Jordy, is that when you
0: uh,
1: write a book, it becomes the ultimate accountability mechanism. Yeah, I have you know thousands or tens of thousands of readers that that come to me and say, "How are you doing with your four week vacation?" The, which is the the tenement of clockwork. Or right. how are you doing with your profit? Or you know what's the next fix you're working on? Which is another book I released recently. Mm-hmm. And so I have to live by it. So these systems I create are absolutely applied to all my businesses. And then we use these systems. It's not its not theory, it's applicable.
0: Yeah. I want to make sure we talk about uh, Fix This Nexus. This is your most recent book. Just quickly, can you give the premise of the book? Yeah. So what I've
1: discovered a significant challenge entrepreneurs have is they we stay in this kind of circuitous pattern, never moving our business forward. We hit a ceiling of some sort and can't get past it. So I asked why do we want to grow, but we can't? And what it ends up is that most entrepreneurs are working on all the apparent issues that present themselves each day, but not working in a strategic fashion, not identifying the most important element that their business needs fixed. The analogy I use is a chain. If you and I had a chain between us and we were pulling on it, the chain will always break in the same spot, which is the weakest link. Yet most entrepreneurs are fixing all the links. We say, I'm fixing everything, but nothing's working. The mm-hmm. reason is we're just randomly fixing links in the chain of our business, but it'll continue to snap at the weakest link if that's not resolved. So fix this next is a tool to identify what is currently the weakest element in your business, resolve it. The entire strength of that chain improves, then you find the next weakest link. So you move mm-hmm. much more strategically instead of randomly working on things. We focus on the next most important thing, resolve it and then the next.
0: And you're when you talk about the next is you are you referencing the, chart that you use where you start with like sales at the bottom and then yeah. profit and um yeah. I, I from yeah, there what I did right was,
1: i use a technique called biomimicry biomimicry is where you look at something that's an established truth if you will in in nature or, or somewhere around us well maslow's hierarchy of needs was developed by maslow to identify uh, a sequence of needs that humans have that's biology i translated that into a business sequence of needs now, when it comes to our own survivability, our own life, we are in tune with how to survive because our instincts uh, are served by our inputs, like our eyes, our hearing, a smell. Like mm-hmm. if, if you and I were hanging out and we said, hey, let's go out for a beer real quick, and we take a shortcut to the bar down a dark alley, and we get this creepy feeling that, we're, mm-hmm. that something's not safe here, we better turn around because we, we are gonna experience some serious harm. That's our senses triggering a gut feel. The thing is, we don't have a gut feel for our business. We can't sense when our business is at risk. We think we can. We can say, I feel that we need more sales. I feel I need this. But our our inputs, our eyes, our hearing isn't tied to our business. We're not wired into our business. So I developed this business hierarchy of needs as a compass, effectively, that you can very quickly analyze your business and say, oh, this is where it's currently at risk of harm, fix that, and then move on to the next thing. But it is a translation from the Maslowian
0: hierarchy of needs. Okay. When you were coming up with that chart, when you go to research these projects, like who are you approaching? Is it your readers or other businesses? And how do you determine like where they're making mistakes and how they can fix them?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm really blessed. Uh over the years now, there's hundreds of thousands of readers um that I've gained access to. It's it's funny, I, I sent out an email blast, this is about five years ago, to my readership saying, Hey, I'm I'm considering working on the next book. I want to understand the biggest challenge you're having. Now, I admittedly am not the most technically savvy guy. I must have triple clicked because the email went out 3 times on the same day with the same question. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest challenge you're facing in the year ahead? And I noticed some readers answered the same question on the same day with different answers. Like one guy in the morning said like, you know, we need more sales, that's our problem. And in the afternoon said, we got to hire better, that's our biggest problem. And in the evening, it was we got to bring about systems and process, that's our biggest problem. Mm-hmm. He was changing where the business needs to focus. So that became the, that response, and that he wasn't the only one to do that, became the foundation for this is what I need to research. What I do then is, yeah, I interview readers that have successfully navigated it. So I reach out and say to people, who before has been stuck with their in their business trying to fix everything and found a pathway out of this? And I start accumulating that data and I look for common trends and that becomes the basis for it. I also interview tons of experts, people that specialize in in this case, theory of constraints, a way to uh, move your business forward and, and other experts and then bring in their knowledge and then try to curate it in a way that it assembles a very simple, implementable structure. You know, my goal with my books is not just to throw theory at people, but to give them a very practical application of it, chapter by chapter, at the end of the chapter, you can Taking an action and seeing an the impact impacting your business. That's that's how I go about writing my books.
0: Okay. And when you when you're writing that, do you find that there's a lot of people like there's commonalities b- between the mistakes that people are making? I mean, is it like it's like essentially people hitting their heads against the wall, like, or are they just too scattered? I mean, what are the most common problems that yeah. you're finding? There,
1: there are common trends. The first thing um, I notice is most entrepreneurs, and I include myself in this too feel we're so unique, like no other business is like my business. No one can really get me, mm-hmm. which actually is not true. The DNA, if you will, for businesses are almost identical. I mean, you could pick a pizza shop or a law firm. And if we look at the core elements, like 99% of the business is the same. Got to generate prospects, convert them, deliver. Like All those elements are the same. It's the right. outside skin that's different. And therefore we feel we're radically different. So there's a misconception there. But common problem I see is many businesses believe they can sell their way or they need to sell their way out of their current circumstances. You know, we aren't profitable, therefore we need to sell more. Um, I don't have enough free time to live life the way I want. I'm entrapped in the in the work I do, I need to sell more. It's a very common fallacy because sales translates really to stress on an organization, particularly for a small business. Mm-hmm. You know, the more I sell, the more my business has a responsibility to deliver on all these things I've sold. And as a small business owner who carries the business on their shoulders, it's more stress on me. So we think the solution is to sell more, and actually now we have to work more. We think sales are gonna get us more profitability, but in the vast majority of cases as we amplify sales, it actually puts more burden on us, triggering more expense, and now we become in a more precarious position. If I don't keep selling at this new higher level, I'm not Mm going to be able to afford all the new expenses that have come on. So we keep on trying to ratchet up sales, but we put our business in a more precarious position. It's very common for businesses to try to sell their way out when the actual problem, in many cases, is a profitability system. They're not using, you know, perhaps profit first or some system to extract profit, therefore they're not sustainable. It's often an order or efficiency problem. The company's not organized. There's what's called the superhero syndrome, where the entrepreneur swoops in to fix a problem, but leaves a wake of damage behind them. Hmm. Those are the problems I, I'm seeing that are, are repeated pretty regularly.
0: And so in your coaching, let's say, I know that you're not doing coaching, but you're presumably involved in the coaching and you, and you use like a process to help these. What's like sort of the first questions that you start asking? It's like, okay, the like I come to you, okay, I have a problem. My company is, you know, we're doing, we just need more sales. Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you go from there?
1: I think the classic approach that many coaching organizations use, and, and we do the same, is is start with the end in mind. So first question is what do you want to achieve? But we got to peel back the onion too. So many people say, well, I simply want to sell more. And you you do the old child trick. You ask why five times. Well, why do you want to sell more? well, I want to sell more to have a bigger organization. Why do you want a bigger organization? And it often will come back as a business owner to the fact that we want more stability uh, financially. We call it financial freedom, right? The, the, yeah. Where we don't have to worry about bills, that we can live a lifestyle that we envision for ourselves. And the other thing is personal freedom is often the other element. I want to be able to do what I want when I want. Mm-hmm. And when we have clarity around that, then we can start structuring or restructuring the business to be in alignment with the personal goals. We call it lifestyle congruence. And in Mm -hmm. fact, in Fix This Next, the first element we hit on is, is this business designed around us, the small business owner, in achieving what we want for ourselves? And uh, often we start off that way in day one, but we go down divergent paths. I want a lifestyle of freedom, financial freedom and personal freedom, but the business takes on a life of its own. And now I become a servant back to my business. So we realign it. The great news is, Usually a realignment is not a 360 on the business. We don't have to tear it down to the studs and rebuild it. It's often actually a very small shift. Mm -hmm. Usually business owners are about five to 10% away or off course of where they need to go. So start at the end of mind, then rewind to what's the first actionable, impactful step that will move us toward that goal? What's the next fix to make? And we start chipping away step by step to get to that vision.
0: Would you, would you say that your ultimate goal is design is sort of helping your readers find that life balance? Is that kind of, or, because it seems like that balance is going to be the, the one that's going to ultimately provide the most freedom of, you know, and happiness as well. I mean, the guys that are working 15 hour, 18 hours a day, yeah. they may be making more money, but I mean, do you find that your readers respond the best to sort of a life balance with their business?
1: For sure. For sure. What we believe, what I believe, is that our business is a platform of expression for ourselves as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. It's, I believe it's the ultimate platform of expression into leaning who we are. And, you know, it's funny, I even question if the guy that's working 15 hours a day, if they are making more money. You know, doing the work ourselves will plateau at a certain point. You can only work so hard and generate income from your direct effort. It's actually the coordination of resources around us that generates more income. I actually argue that the most important job of an entrepreneur is to be a creator of jobs. A study came out from the U.S. census or the government, but it identified that 7% of the employable population will ever become entrepreneurs or own a business. So guys like you and me, we're the oddballs. We're the rarity. Mm -hmm. 93% of the population is looking for a good, reliable job. So Mm -hmm. our job is to help the 93%, the majority, who want to work for good, reliable companies, to give them work. Unfortunately, entrepreneurs get a little bit of a kind of perverted approach to this. They start a business and they say, I have to hustle and grind, which I hate that phraseology, Mm -hmm. it's not about that, but I have to work harder and longer. And uh, we actually prevent people from getting work. We try to take it on ourselves. So we're blocking others from working. Our job is set a clear vision of where we want this business to go, have an alignment with how it serves us, bring colleagues on to move toward that. And also, and this is key, understand every individual's, every employee's own individual desires and dreams, and then align to serve their dreams as we're serving the corporate or the business dream, which really is the dream of the owner Mm -hmm. to all come in alignment. And now you have people marching forward, moving that business forward, and everyone's being served. That's really the ultimate goal.
0: And then that's when you're sort of alluding to the legacy aspect of the top part of the chain.
1: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I I interviewed um, a guy, he owns a company called Echo Filtro. It's out of Guatemala City. I took a trip down there to meet with him. His name's Philip Wilson, Mm -hmm. which isn't a
0: very Latino name. He's Latino though.
1: He's not Latino, but he was born in Guatemala. I think he's an expat from the US. Returned to, but that's his home. Mm -hmm. And he returned. And he started his company called Echofiltro. Echofiltro makes clay pots that are infused or wired with silver, which kills bacteria. The problem in Guatemala, the country, um, outside the city in particular, in the rural areas, the population is extremely poor. And the average worker, I think, makes a dollar equivalent a day. So you make about 30 bucks a month you Mm -hmm. use almost half that money to buy firewood that you then use to boil water so that the water, while filthy, at least is ridden of bacteria and is consumable. Well, Philip used this product, it was invented by someone else, but he made a business around delivering these pots. But he also made a very profitable business, meaning Mm -hmm. that when he sells it, he sells it for a profit so he can sustain. There's a mistake mm-hmm. that I think some entrepreneurs have is that we have to give until it hurts and it puts our business out of business and therefore we can't give anymore. So you have mm-hmm. to do in a sustainable way. Well, he sells these pots. Over time, the rural community, and actually even the, the city of Guatemala, I saw him when I was walking around, has taken this on. It is like the new water cooler. And as you pour water into it, you can pour in filthy water. Out comes clean, consumable water and doesn't require firewood. So now the economy for the world community, now Mm -hmm. you have 15 more dollars a month, which uh, maybe doesn't go far in in the US, but there, now you can maybe buy a goat or you can do something to start some form of entrepreneurial endeavors. It's significant, Mm -hmm. but here's the biggest part. He has a sustainable business. He gets a call years after starting this business from an environmental studies going on and said, we gotta talk to you. We have these satellites going over the entire globe and we see the air pollution in Guatemala in particular dropping at an exponential rate. We sent out a ground force, we didn't know how it was happening. Mm -hmm. And when we went out there, we see that people aren't burning firewood anymore. They're using your pots. Do you know you're changing the environment in a very positive way? Yeah. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's when we realized He was never really a business owner. He was a business steward. He started something that is bigger and greater than him or the people that work there. This must continue on. And that's legacy. Legacy is where you realize it was never about you, the business owner. It's about the impact and the the shift you're having on the world in some way. And that business
0: needs to live on forever. So I love that example. Um, when at what point do you feel like your business is okay? I've i made it. There's some profit. I'm taking some profit first. At what point can you feel like the company can start giving? And what are some some other examples of like giving back? Because that's uh, I think. You know, that's why they get yeah. into it because they want to contribute back to, you know, society or whatever, to their community. Like, totally. what are some examples of that? And what, what point can they do, you know, like give back? What's a good uh, rule for that?
1: Yeah. So I think first we all, I realize there's two stages there. I call it the get to give. Like We've always heard you have to give to get. But actually, yeah. I found in business the reverse. You must get sales, uh, which generates cash. You must have profit right. extraction of cash you must have efficiency in order to be able to give. So you have to build a sustainable business. I think the mistake is to say, I wanna change the world and try try serving that without a way that's sustainable, and therefore these great ideas vaporize. So get that structure in place first, make sure you have something that's viable. I think we also have to realize that just the nature of business you are giving to a community. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not changing the environment around you, but there's another story there's a guy jacob limer uh, Limmer, he's in the book um mm-hmm. who sells coffee and uh what he realized when the COVID pandemic hit was that he surveyed his audience, his customers and said hey uh, i know you can't come to the store anymore is there any way i can serve you and people said listen it, the coffee is delicious but really it's a mood booster i like the ritual of drinking your coffee and because your store is closed now it's a shame um i can't do it anymore it boosts me up well, what he did was with that knowledge that it was a mood booster, he said, what if I made a cold brew coffee, which he did, uh, and he infused it with vitamin D, he called it the immune booster. Now it's not a COVID killer, but what it did was allow people to go through that ritual and also feel healthy again. And so he started distributing this and the business started exploding. It's actually, it's having its best year, uh, in 20 or it had its best year in 2020 because of how he reinvented the business. That is also a give. There's mm-hmm. some people that are buying this product that feel better about themselves. And that starts this butterfly effect. You know, are they kinder when they are talking to other people? It, it starts this positive momentum. So the point is, uh, giving can happen through any form of business, but I do think we need to have a rooted mission, like why we're doing what we do. So I'll, I'll give you one more example. There's my life's mission right on the wall. Eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Right yeah. Around. I love
0: that one. Yeah.
1: That's my mission. And, um, For me, myself, when when I'm writing books, I keep on anchoring back to this. This is the impact I'm trying to have on our world. That is part of the legacy element that I'm trying to serve. And just by being cognizant of it, every time I make an effort to write a book or or write a sentence in a book, it's having a little degree of impact that way. Mm -hmm. Legacy, I don't think is something that necessarily happens in one significant moment. It may, you know, it could, but for many, Entrepreneurs, I think it's just that we keep on chopping at the wood. We keep on making small steps forward. Every time Philip Wilson rolls out one more pot, he realizes he shifted the world in a positive way just a little bit more. And I feel, if we're eradicating entrepreneurial poverty, every time I write one more sentence, I've shifted it just a scotch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how we do it.
0: Uh, I like that. And since it's, it's, it's not really like a, a literal giving back, you don't have to sort of tithe and give to some, you know, organization. It can be just pivoting your business in a way that you're, you know, providing jobs or you're giving back in that way. And that it's more of a mindset that the, the entrepreneur really needs to see that he's actually providing and giving in the way that his business is uh, giving back already.
1: I agree. I agree. And you can give in other ways. But I think the mistake is giving in a way that sacrifices your ability to continue to give there was uh, i'm in a small town in northern new jersey a very small town and there when the COVID pandemic hit a few businesses said we're going to step up and serve our community we're going to discount prices significantly um for the products we offer so people can sustain mm-hmm. those businesses uh the two that i know of went out of business within a, a month they were just mm-hmm. done and yeah. uh People are like, oh, that, it was almost like a martyr situation. People are like, oh, that's so wonderful. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I wish I did it in a profitable way because they are good people and they are doing good things, but now they're wiped off the face of this plant. They sacrifice themselves to give a moment of service. If they also serve themselves, they could give a lifetime of service. Right.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Quickly, coming up to the top of the hour, what's your next book and can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So it's called Different is Better. I literally just finished writing the manuscript about a week ago. It's now on Amazon for pre-order. It's not coming out until September, but it's a book on marketing. And what I did was um, I dissected what makes marketing successful and what doesn't. And I boiled it down to three elements. Uh, It's an acronym, DAD, D-A-D. And the Mm -hmm. first one is marketing that's successful differentiates itself from all the other marketing in that space. be Mm -hmm. different. Different is better, hence the title. The second element, though, is it must be attractive. That's what the A stands for. Mm -hmm. That when when something's different, it must also be compelling to the person consuming it, saying, oh, this could be of service to me. We want to build desire. And the last element, D, stands for direct. It must direct that prospect to take action that will then result in the sale or serve them in some capacity. So effective marketing always has differentiate, attract, direct. It's, It's that. And uh, it's a real simple system. It's a little bit kind of weird, but you can look at any marketing and say, does dad approve? Uh, It's an easy mnemonic to remember, but whatever you look at, does it pass those three elements? If it does, it's going to be a very successful marketing piece.
0: And if it's missing any one of those, it's likely going to struggle. Great. I look forward to checking it out. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. Thank you. It's been a joy, Jordan. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner.